Hello, hello, and welcome back to Organic Gardening for Beginners. My name is Jessica, the host of the show, as well as a vendor at my local farmer's market. I have a blog called Homegrown Food and Flowers and a little Etsy shop where I sell garden planners and seed kits and all the fun things to help you get started with your garden. And today we are jumping into episode 46. I cannot believe we are almost to episode 50, which is pretty darn cool. Um, but in any case, this week we are chatting about how to plan your garden through the seasons and specifically how to transition from season to season. What are some of those key methods that you need to be able to use? How do your frost dates affect things? All of the planning and the seed starting and stuff that we've been talking about this last almost two months now. Crazy. Um, how to put it into action. And I have a resource for you as well and all the good stuff so that you have a very solid plan for this season, as well as what I suppose some would call the ability to give yourself grace when your plan doesn't go exactly as you had thought it would, because it definitely happens no matter how long you've been in the garden, where what you have on paper and what you have out in the garden are two very different things. So I want to remember here to also give the context of where I'm growing, just in case this is your first episode with me. I am in Western Oregon in Zone 8. Our last spring frost is around the beginning of May, and the first fall frost is around the end of October, beginning of November. Now, granted, I've been gone from this area for about 10 years. Um, I'm from Washington State, just north of where we live now. And things have changed a lot over the last 10 years as far as when spring hits, how hot it gets, how much it rains over the winter, which it's the Northwest. It rains a lot, but it's still changing. Um, and so my point of saying all that is take this episode in particular with a grain of salt because it's going to completely depend on where you live. If you are in the Northeast, if you're in Southern California, if you are in the South, if you're up in the Northwest like me, obviously we're all going to have a ton of nuance to where we live, whether you live out in the country or you live in downtown New York. You know, all those things are going to affect your climate, your microclimate, all the things. So this think of of this particular episode and really any episode I put out as kind of a skeleton guide to what you can apply to your area. So I might be talking about planting out my tomatoes in May, but you live in boondock Alaska and you can't plant them out until June, or you live in Southern California and you can plant those puppies out in March. So, you know, use a little bit of judgment here for what works for your area. Uh, and no offense to my Alaskan friends, <laughs> because that might have sounded a little bit rude. Um, but you get my point, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, so in any case, know your growing season, know your frost dates. If you are not sure when your frost dates are, reference back to episode 42, uh, where I talked specifically about what do they mean? How do you use them? How does that define your growing season? And when you plant what? It's really good fundamental knowledge for any gardener. So listen to that. I have a few links for you in those show notes for how to find your frost dates using your zip code, my two reliable sources that I use. Um, if I remember, I will put them in the show notes of this episode too, so you don't have to go backtracking. But basically, your last spring frost date is the last time that your temperatures are going to drop below 32 where 32 degrees Fahrenheit, excuse me, where you could potentially kill some of your frost sensitive plants. And then that first fall frost is 
the first time um, since summer that your temperatures will again drop to that freezing point, kind of ending your summer season and killing your frost sensitive plants. And it's those are kind of like the benchmarks or the bookends, as I refer to them, of one season to the next. And of course, as you're going to see in this episode, and I talked about it a ton last year, you can overwinter a lot of things, you can stretch your seasons in multiple ways. um, But those two dates, those estimated dates, because they're never, you know, written in stone. But those influence a lot of what you do when you plant, you know, all what you choose to plant, um, all of that. So keep that in mind, go look it up if you don't know your dates and just kind of keep those written down somewhere so you don't forget them. Okay, so one of the points I really want to make today is you can grow something throughout the entire year. And I would I would feel confident in saying that is the case no matter where you live. And I've lived in very different climates. As I mentioned before, I'm from the Northwest. I have lived in Southern California for many years. We lived in South Carolina for several years. And those are all three extremely different climates. I feel like if we had lived in the Northeast, then I would have had a, a really well-rounded idea of of different growing climates. But in any case, I've got three out of what I consider four different ones. And I think we, especially new gardeners, we tend to fall back on you plant in the spring, you harvest through the summer, fall comes, you're done. And then you take off four months in the wintertime. And of course, there are some years where you totally need that. You are burnt out, you're stressed out, you just want to relax and take time off, or maybe you're moving or, you know, life updates, whatever it is. No shade there. I've done it too when we moved and blah, blah, blah. But the point here is with the right planning, you can grow so much food, so many flowers, so many herbs all throughout the year with very, very minimal inputs. Maybe something really simple to throw up like a PVC hoop house. Maybe it's a matter of just starting things indoors or providing a little bit of protection in the fall so that you get that last little bit of harvest uh, or you plant specifically winter hardy types of crops. And it just it takes planning. I won't say that you can, you know, start in the middle of summer and and magically have this year round garden. It takes a little bit of planning. It takes a little bit of experience and trial and error. But it's something that I think is totally worth working towards to see just how much you can maximize your garden year. And so some of the skills that are important to this are we're going to talk about succession planting, about transitioning your beds, and about um, I'll say seed starting. Like, how are you going to have these plants in the middle of summer when you're probably not going to find them at your nursery or your big box store or even at the farmer's market, but you know you've got this upcoming empty spot in your bed. And so you want to be prepared for that. And also a little bit more about overwintering. So succession planting is the practice of planting something more than one time. You plant them in succession. And a really easy example for this is something like radishes, where they take one month to mature, you pull them out, and then they're done. They're not going to grow back. They aren't, you know, something like lettuce where you take off a few leaves and then the plant keeps growing and you come back a week later and you get more lettuce. You have to replant them. So something like beets or carrots or radish, those are all something that you can succession plant throughout the year. Even lettuce for that matter, because you are going, you know, say you plant lettuce in the spring, you harvest it uh, and it keeps growing, but eventually the weather is going to get too warm 
And so you need to take out that whole plant. Otherwise, it's just going to go to seed and taste bitter and be a total waste of space in your garden. But you can plant that again come fall so that you have a nice nice fall harvest. And me personally, I still consider that succession planting, even though it's not back-to-back planting. It's still within the same growing season, within the same year, the same crop that I'm planting again. And so I know that I will plant my lettuce at least twice during the year, once in the spring, once in the fall, most likely at least one more in there. And this is also a really common practice for flowers that either only put up one bloom and need to be replanted or ones that just kind of peter out after a couple of months. So something like a single stem sunflower that only gives you one bloom, you harvest it, you need to replant. That is a succession planting. Or something like zinnias, especially in the south, in my experience, where powdery mildew is very prevalent because of the humidity. And so you might get one flush of blooms from your first planting, and then you plant another round a couple or a few weeks later, so that by the time the first ones get diseased and start to slow down production, you have this new crop coming in with nice fresh blooms on it. Again, another example of succession planting. And if you are really going to maximize your year, this is an awesome practice to have on hand. Related to this is something called relay planting, which is putting one crop in right after the other in the same space, and it might be a different one. So another example would be I plant my snap peas on the same trellis as my tomatoes. So I plant out my peas in end of February, beginning of March timeframe, They're growing, doing their thing while I'm starting my tomatoes inside. And then once the tomatoes are ready to go out in May, I put them at the base of the same trellis that my peas are currently on. And if my peas are still producing, for me, that's totally fine. I don't mind because the tomato needs a minute before it's really getting that high up on the trellis. And if the peas have already gone to flower and they're done, then great. The tomato's got all the room in the world to climb up the trellis. And it has even in the past gotten to the point where they're both actively growing up the trellis and I have to decide, you know what, peas you could be producing for another week or so, but the pea pods just aren't as tender. You're starting to get a little bit stringy. I'm just going to cut you off at the soil level and let all the vines die back and the tomatoes grow up and cover them, leaving all the roots in the ground undisturbed. And that is an example of relay planting. So one thing comes out, another thing goes in. If you have something like carrots that you grow to maturity, you pull them out, and then you immediately pop in some lettuce plants. That's another example of relay planting, one thing right after the other. And just like succession planting, this is a really important skill for when you are trying to avoid empty space in your garden, or you are trying to, you know, make sure you've always got something producing or maturing too soon produce. So you always have flowers, you always have veggies coming out of your garden space. All right. And now the idea of transitioning your garden from one season to the next, and you're really going to use those two previous methods of succession planting and relay planting to make this happen. So picture your spring garden with your snap peas, your lettuce, your spinach, your radish, maybe some calendula, um, marigolds can be cold weather tolerant, you know, this nice, crispy, crunchy spring bed. And it's May. And you are, you have your tomato seedlings, you have got your pepper seedlings, 
your cucumber seed packet. Everything's ready. And this is the only bed you've got. And you need that space. And so you are going to transition your bed from your spring garden to your summer garden. Now, super important side note here. Do not feel like you have to go out and just raise everything in your garden bed. I know I just said everything has to come out, but I'm going to get into that. If your plants are still producing, if you love your lettuce harvest more than you want cucumbers as soon as possible, leave your lettuce there until you're ready to get rid of it. You you know, maybe the weather has gotten too warm or it's just not producing a whole lot. And so you want to swap it out for a fresh crop. There is such nuance for when one crop is done versus when it's time to put in another one. And I know that this is probably a little bit more nitty gritty than I usually talk about, maybe a little bit more. I don't know. It feels like I'm being serious today, even though I'm not trying to. Uh, It's just there are a lot of moving parts in the garden year when you're really trying to maximize things. And so to bring it back, if you are trying to fit everything into one space or you know a limited space or one garden bed, then yeah, you have to be a little bit more ruthless in the anticipation of what you're going to get. So yes, you might be enjoying that lettuce that is making these delicious spring salads, but you know you want those fresh tomatoes and you know that May is the time that you need to plant them so that you have a long enough season for them to mature and actually get them, you know, to eat them, then that is a decision for you and you alone of which one is more valuable, the lettuce or the tomato. You know, I would also say here that this is a great time to practice your companion planting because, you know, maybe both crops are equally valuable. You want them both or your space is just that tight. Similar to the snap peas and tomatoes sharing the same trellis that I mentioned before, maybe you sacrifice one or two lettuce plants and you pop in your tomato in their place, but leave the other ones there because they can still, you know, use that space while the tomato is filling out. There are a ton of ways to put things together to take advantage of your space, take advantage of your growing season beyond, you know, here's this blank slate garden. I'm going to put in all my plants. They'll grow. I'll take them all out and then start again. There are so many overlapping pieces that, you know, you might have 50% of your bed as a seedling or, you know, not quite producing yet, and 50% of your garden that is actively producing or actively ripening some sort of produce on it. And it might look a little bit messy or, you know, you've got this dinky little seedling next to this six foot tall tomato plant and, you know, is it going to do okay? Is it going to get the sun it needs? What's going to happen with my tomato? And I, I don't know that that's a very common thing I want to say when I chat with people it seems like you know Mother's Day rolls around and it's planting weekend and there we go and that's all I that people plant and so I want to kind of expand your horizons into that idea of think of a constant transition in your garden through the seasons through plant maturities through crop failures you know that's actually something I haven't even mentioned yet sometimes crops fail sometimes so here's a perfect example I just planted spinach Uh, spinach seeds indoors a few weeks ago. And spinach is not a difficult crop to grow, but I have them out in our hoop house where we have not yet perfected how to regulate the temperature in there. And so I've got these small spinach seedlings that have all bolted 
in their tiny little pots, which is very unusual. Usually spinach, you know, grows for a few months and then it bolts. But things got too warm and so it, you know, stressed the plant and it triggered seed production. That is a crop failure. There's no point in planting those out in the garden or taking them to the farmer's market or anything like that. And so the space that I had allotted for the spinach in my home garden is now getting replaced with something else. And so that flux is always there. So maybe this is the year where, again, like I just mentioned with companion planting, you experiment with, yes, I put in my spring, late spring, early summer planting of all my usual suspects, peppers, tomatoes, zucchini, cucumbers, and all that. But then I'm also experimenting with putting in a new round of calendula in August with the hope that I have these new fresh plants to bloom through October. Or your cilantro bolted in the beginning of summer because it doesn't like the heat, but I'm going to keep in mind that I need to start more seeds or plant seeds directly in the garden again come July, August so that I have a fall harvest of cilantro. This is a practice makes practice type of method where it's never going to be perfect. Weather's going to affect things. Pests are going to affect things. Your kids, you know, I've talked about all those roadblocks that can totally throw themselves in the way of your garden year. Maybe it's more dry or there's more drought conditions than normal and it throws things off. But this is one of the things I love about planning for the whole year. Just because your spring planting didn't go well or it got hot and your garden burned to a crisp, you can still try again with a fall garden that you then overwinter in a lower stress, slightly slower time of year and get a spring harvest instead. There are tons of ways to manipulate your garden, your space, your seedlings, all those so that you, again, maximize your space, maximize your harvest and your growing season. So the last thing that I want to mention is specific to overwintering and If you haven't listened to my episodes on fall gardens and what you can overwinter, jump back to the August to September episodes. There are a bunch in there about planting out your fall garden. What are some of your top picks or my top picks for what to grow? And that'll give you some nice context. But basically, I want you to remember that so many more plants can be overwintered than are typically thought of as being winter plants. So, you know, you might think of cabbage or kale or carrots or beets as being, you know, these sturdy plants that can make it through colder temperatures. But there are a shocking number of flowers that can make it through winter as well. My cilantro plants made it through an actual ice storm where they had ice on the leaves and they made it through anyways. They looked pretty rough. I won't lie. But they made it and I used them in the kitchen, you know, a week later when they had kind of perked back up. Um, Or my thyme is still going strong. My oregano, my sage also looks a little bit sad, but it's totally alive and I cook with it still. So you can overwinter way more than you think you can. And for flowers specifically, I want to direct you to a book called Cool Flowers by flower farmer Lisa Mason Ziegler. She has a ton of information in there about which flowers you can overwinter to get nice early spring blooms beyond, you know, the typical like tulips and daffodils, all the fall bulbs that are beautiful. But you can really um, expand your array of blooms that you get that much earlier. You know, say you want to grow your own flowers for Mother's Day. You can totally do that if you just plan ahead. So. To help you with the planning, I made a resource, and this one is a paid resource. I 
I don't think I've ever put a paid resource on this show before. Everything is free because I love to educate. I love to help. This one um, is a very affordable, very, very affordable little resource for you. And what it has are layout templates. And there are two types. So I've got examples of how to plan out your garden if you just have one bed. Because I know that that's the case for a lot of people. If you're just starting out or you're experimenting or you live in an apartment with, you know, your tiny little backyard, whatever the case is, how can you use companion planting? How can you arrange your bed to make it as productive as possible? Uh, you guys know I talk all the time about companion planting, a little bit less lately with all of our garden planting. But companion planting is mixing, mixing and matching different crops in the same garden bed so that they can all help each other out. And so everything in this resource is using companion planting. Flowers, veggies, herbs, all living happily ever after together in the garden bed because that's the way nature likes it. And so there are a few demo layouts of, you know, a container garden, a four by eight garden or border garden where you're your um, restrictions of your space might influence what you plant and you want to see some ideas of how to maximize it. And then the part that's in there that I'm so super proud of, and it took so much work, but I really wanted it for you guys, is I put out a template of four garden beds, all four by eight. And I'm showing that garden through all four seasons. So what does it look like in spring, summer, fall, winter? How do you transition that garden bed from the winter garden into the spring, into the summer, et cetera, et cetera, throughout the year? What can stay? What needs to go and be replaced by something else? What can you use as a perennial that you just have in your garden all the time and you plant around it? And I think it will give you a really nice bird's eye view of the garden year. And I'm doing it now in February so that you have plenty of time to look at it and apply it to your own situation. Now, please remember what I had mentioned before of this is just a demo garden. It's on paper. And on paper, everything's perfect. You know, the sun shines, the pests stay away, and all your seeds germinate. And the 10 snap pea plants that are on that template are all there in your garden on paper. In reality, you know, who knows, maybe only eight germinate or you get a hailstorm and it takes out your baby cilantro plants and you have to start again. So like I had mentioned at the very, very beginning, remember the nuance, remember your situation, remember sometimes stuff happens that sets our garden back a little bit. But this bird's eye view, now in the spring when you have time still to start all your seedlings, there's really nothing that you could want to grow this year that is too late to start right now. Um, some things might mature, you know, a little bit later than if you had started them a month ago, but they are still totally doable. So you can take this resource, these templates, and come up with a plan this week for your garden for the whole year of what you are going to try to produce and make it happen. There's plenty of time left in the year. The templates all really focus on food production on integrating flowers and integrating herbs. So there are flowers like calendula and yarrow and black-eyed Susan that are all amazing for your garden for drawing in pollinators. They can all be used as cut flowers. A lot of them are perennials, so you can plant them once and then you plant your annual veggies and herbs around them. 
Uh, and I think it will be really, really helpful to kind of tackle some of that overwhelm that I know is so common at this time of year where it feels like all you see around you is everybody starting seeds and, oh my gosh, I haven't started mine. And I've got this blank slate out in my yard and, oh my gosh, where do I start? And so take a look at these templates and see if you can apply, if not the you know, exact combinations, because maybe you don't like the plants that I chose. Um, but, you know, apply the principles to what you've got of, hey, look, she's got the trellis in the back where she's rotating peas and tomatoes, and then peas again throughout the seasons. And what do I like to eat that grows tall, that I can plant in spring, or I can plant in summer to still take advantage of this same space. So check it out. And next week, we have our what to do in your March garden. Can you believe it's March? I feel like I say this every single week. Where's the time going? It's flying. It's March. I can't wait. I literally have, I don't know, a thousand seedlings, probably maybe even more in my germination station out in the greenhouse. I'm bringing them to the market for the first time this coming weekend, and I could not be more excited. It's totally springtime. I love it. Even though it's raining and freezing cold today, we even have a fire going. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye.